put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No-Till Flowers podcast. As always, I'm your ever-curious host, Jenny Love. I started this podcast to drill into the details of natural growing practices as they relate to flower farming. It felt like there was a void in the industry for this kind of information, and while I've been focusing on the regeneration of the soils and ecosystem at my farm for over four years now, I still have lots of questions. With each new episode of this podcast, I hope to get a few more answers to those questions for myself and for you, the ever-curious listener. All right, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the second season of No-Till Flowers. I have missed you all. It's been a bit longer than planned since the last episode aired. Turns out adding a popular podcast to an already very busy farming, designing, teaching, and consulting schedule is harder to juggle than I expected. But we're doing it. I am delighted to be back and thank you all for tuning back in. I hope to keep you good company during all your seed sowing this late winter and spring. For season two's premiere, my guest is fan favorite Tony Gates from Bear Mountain Farm. Not only did you all download his episode from season one the most of any of them, Tony has been my own inspiration and teacher for so many of the regenerative practices I use at my farm today. The YouTube channel he and his wife Denise produce is dense with detailed organized how-tos. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to their channel and watch the hundreds of helpful videos they have there. There is a link in the show notes so you can get to that easily. In our conversation in today's show, Tony and I talk in nerdy detail about Korean natural farming and jadam. We compare notes on each of our farm's practices and what's worked for us and what has not. The recurring theme is that a little goes a long way when it comes to applying Korean natural farming and jadam in the field. As usual, Tony is pure gold when it comes to taking a nebulous concept and clarifying it in simple illustrative terms to make it easy for the rest of us to latch onto. I cannot express enough how grateful I am to Tony for all he generously shares with our industry. So a little sidebar about this conversation with Tony. We actually had it many months ago in the late spring of 2021. It was an immensely energizing conversation that left me supercharged about KNF and Jadam, helping make 2021 one of the best seasons at my farm. But unfortunately, the recording quality was really glitchy. It was a big, big project to clean it up to air, and so it got put on the back burner until winter allowed for enough downtime to edit it. You'll still hear remnants of wonky feedback and dropped signal during this show, but it's worth a listen. I promise. Many, many thanks to Matt Moran, the show's post-production editor, for going through the file with a fine-tooth comb so that you all could finally have a listen to Tony's great insights. If you are curious about Korean natural farming and jadam and any other regenerative growing practices as they relate to flower farming, consider joining the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network. A vibrant community hub for the ever-curious flower farmer, this new network helps make connections, starts conversations, and serves as a repository for a curated collection of articles and studies on regenerative practices including suggestions for how and when to apply LAB, WCA, and the other things that Tony and I talk about in this show. I host regular live Q&As on there, and membership in the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network goes to support the making of more podcast episodes here on No-Till Flowers. Find it at regenerativeflowerfarmersnetwork.org. 
There's a direct link in the show notes. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to find No-Till Flowers on Instagram, where I post photos of regenerative practices and tools for all you visual learners out there. Alrighty, put on your work gloves. Let's go. So welcome back, Tony. It's good to have you back on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to take another opportunity to talk about this. Yeah, it's such an important subject. And man, did it get so much traction um, on no-till flowers once we sort of opened up the can of worms. Ha ha ha, no pun intended. Maybe pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but once that can got opened, it seemed like we kind of blew some people's minds and in in this amazing world of biology that we can introduce to our soil and then ultimately increase um, soil life, which helps our crops grow better. So, but it comes with, it comes with sort of a, a cloak of responsibility. I feel like this mantle of responsibility we as farmers have to put on because we're really dealing with so much life in just a tablespoon of one of these liquids that we create through KNF or Jadam. Don't you feel that way? Do you sometimes just sort of stand in awe and look at you know, it? When you when you hear, yeah, like when you hear what um, you know science says about you know how much life is in a gram of soil, and when you think, okay, well, what's a, a gram of soil? And it's mm. very very small, and <laughs> you know because it, it, and there's there could be millions of bacteria and you know and and a huge amounts of fungi and and all kinds of things in it, and so. Uh, I think that the thing that people don't understand is is the scale is just it's massive. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and and these things can it can replicate you know under the right conditions quite quickly. Um, Like a a JMS batch or or genetic microorganism solution um, will the actual um, growth in it will double every twenty minutes. Oh my gosh start looking at art with just a very small amount of inoculant with a with a you know a modicum amount of, of food available to the microorganisms and they just go to town and and very you know over a span of uh, average on average when i make a batch of genetic microorganism solution takes about probably about 40 to 48 hours under normal circumstances and it, it's just amazing i can look at um, a finished batch of solution and there's so much like bubbling and, and things going on because these <laughs> these guys have just you know taken off and they've they've created yeah. foam on the top of a a, a bucket right you, you know of this stuff and it's just uh that's a ton of life it really is it it, it blows my mind the other day i was putting a, just a mere tablespoon of lab into a spray bottle to, to apply it to some seed trays. And I was just laughing to myself because I felt like I had the entire population of Hong Kong in that tablespoon. And and it was just kind of a little bit mind blowing. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I just put Hong Kong in a bottle. You know, like it's just like this, 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 we see it as a, as a teaspoon of something. You know, it's us, it's just like, oh, it's just a teaspoon. It's so, it's, that's nothing. But I, when you think about the <clears throat> level of life in that teaspoon, it's just like, I seriously, I, I feel like that emoji where my brain explodes whenever I think about it and just kind of yeah, have and to you really, pause. You know, respect that too, because yeah, you know, when when you look at a lot of these inputs, what they're doing is they're culturing up selective um, indigenous um, 
organisms that are over to your area. I and mean, when you talk about LAB, one of the, the common things that I see a lot is people start saying, well, isn't that just way from, you know, making cheese? And, mm -hmm. and you go, well, yes, it is. But it's a different type of way because mm. what you're doing, and I think what people have to understand is when you're making LAB, you start with that rice, you're letting that sit to the open mm. uh, air for, you know, one to three days or so, depending on, you know, your conditions. Um, and what you're doing is you're capturing these um, that are in this to your area mm -hmm. in, into it. So you're also capturing a large, I, I mean, lactobacillus, large group. So right. you've got all kinds of different strains within that family. And when you're looking at you know, somebody saying just taking the wheat wave uh, a cheese process, mm -hmm. well, the people who are making cheese have got it down to know the specific bacteria they want to get the specific flavor ah, profile of the cheese okay. that they're trying to make. Okay. So when you start thinking about it and go, well, yeah, that is a, it's definitely that you definitely took, you know, and made birds in separate way and all that. Mm -hmm. That way is not necessarily as diverse. Ah. As if, and particularly, may not reflect, you know, the indigenous lactobacillus that are around, or your farm where you're trying to apply this stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it still technically probably would be some benefit. Right. But it's not as diverse. Okay. And, and that's the thing is, is what you're trying to do is trying to capture the indigenous organisms to your area, mm. so that when, and then what you're doing is you're culturing them up in a sense. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're increasing their numbers dramatically. Right. But there's more than one strain of lactobacillus yeah. in, in that way that you create. And probably some other bacteria in there too that, you know, are, are not harmful, but, you know, play a role as well. So when you start <clears throat> thinking about that aspect of it, that that's why you use the rice wash. That's why you okay. leave it out. Because what okay. you're doing, it's, it's almost like when people talk about making sourdough bread, an example mm, mm -hmm. you know they're capturing wild yeasts yeah uh -huh. and yeah but it, and it and it, and you know a bread that's made the sourdough that's made in san francisco will taste different mm. than somebody who took i took starter from san francisco <laughs> and i came up to uh lincoln city and i started a bakery up here in oregon you know in lincoln city yeah, on the yeah. coast and why isn't my bread taste the same as it did in, you know, yeah. in San Francisco? It's because what happens is very quickly, the indigenous organisms in your area overtake the ones that were indigenous to San Francisco and they be more dominant. Wow. So wow. it's kind of the same concept. Yeah. So what you're doing is, is capturing what's in your area that's adapted to your area and will do well in your area. Hmm. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I understood the process of LAB. I think I didn't quite understand the process of cheese making, which I feel kind of embarrassed to admit, but it makes sense now in that that cheese making is you put you put like a like a a pellet of something right into the milk to start that process. I forget what that's called. But yeah. <laughs> so you're you right. The cheesemakers introducing biology, like a selected kind of biology into cheese versus making LAB. Right. So like when you're making wild. a Roquefort cheese or you're making yeah. a Parmesan cheese, it's not necessarily the same strain of, of 
you know, and they, because they're going for a, a flavor profile or, mm -hmm. or a texture profile, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there, there's obviously more to the art of making the cheese, you know, once you've separated the curds from the, from the whey, but, right. you know, it's certainly a starting point. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating to me. And I love, I love the idea that there are different, you know, there's different lactobacillus out there that this is, this really is um, microclimate based, microecology based um, versus like with uh, JMS and um, OMS and stuff like that in, in uh, I feel like we probably shouldn't just speak in acronyms this whole time, but <laughs> so when you're culturing other mm -hmm. parts of KNF and Jadam, where you use, they like leaf mold soil or um, compost soil or something that I was thinking of that as like, well, that's obviously local microorganisms because they're there in the soil. And I don't know why I didn't think about the fact that like LAB is also local microorganisms. They're just coming out of the air instead. So I, you've taught me something really powerful just now, frankly. So thank you for that. Yeah, these bacteria, <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, have dormant stages to themselves or lesser activity stages and they can attach themselves to a dust particles and float around and, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, you don't see it, you know, right. and, but yeah. it's there and, you know, lands on the water and off it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's amazing. And it is, it is amazing how much, so there's LAB in the air all the, you know, there's lactobacillus in the air all the time, but our goal as, as um, sort of, um, um, I don't know, like livestock herders <laughs> of those bacteria is to, to sort of corral them into a jar and help them procreate and, and bring even more life. So that's where I feel like I need to learn more and more how to be careful with all of that life, to, to recognize that there is so much life in that and to not overuse it. You know, like I, I've had this really bad habit right. of overusing natural inputs at my farm and, and it's like, oh, it's, it's natural. It's, it's, it's the thing that just was here anyway, but by using too much of it, I'm throwing off that balance in my farm ecosystem that I'm trying so hard to bring about, you know, like my whole goal is balance, but then as the typical um, right. giant stomping around human being in a very fragile <laughs> ecosystem, I right. overdo uh, it. I mean, every when you think about anything, nature always to reach equilibrium state. Hmm. So, I mean, if you if you change the nature of your your soil by example, you know, tilling it, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to reach, you know, over tilling it, you reach an equilibrium equilibrium state with the the inputs or the conditions the environment that it lives in mm -hmm. so it's going to become extremely bacterially dominated um it's going to have low organic material because the bacteria are going to consume the organic material turn it into carbon dioxide or whatever mm -hmm. and you're going to get um a whole set of conditions so if you think about this if you're saying well now i've got this great stuff called lab and every time, you know, something rears its head, I'm going to throw this at it. Mm -hmm. It's like anything else. If you start shifting the microbiology population to uh, a situation where it's no longer in balance, you may create a separate set of problems. The mm -hmm. so LAB is, I guess I just kind of, I, I like Drake uh, from um, Hawaii. He's, yeah. he's got a, 
saying for it. He calls it uh, the policeman. You know, so basically mm. they're there to help correct out of balance situations, to bring it back in balance by um, the nice thing about these lactobacillus is under the right conditions, they can, they can operate anaerobically as well as aerobically. So, I mean, lactobacillus, I use it all the time, LAB all the time in making Bokashi uh, ferment. Mm, yeah. And it works extremely. So it can, under the right circumstances, outcompete something that's pathogenic. Most pathogenic microbes are anaerobic. So that, I guess, when you look at it and you go, well, I'm just throwing something in here that can massively outcompete. Uh, mm -hmm. If you get too much of it, you could shift the balance and not, you know, not not achieve the result you want. You could end up with a, yeah. another set of unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. So you kind of got to be careful with it, um, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that I, as I think it through, it's sort of like, you know, if you give your body too much medicine, you can actually weaken your natural immune system. Like, yes, the medicine helps with the, the cold you have or whatever. But then if you just keep pounding back the antibiotics, then you ultimately have a weaker immune system because you're also just kind of- Yeah, you destroy pounding, your gut you know. biome. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it's about being careful. It's like the saying, you know, if you take one Advil, it's great. If I take a bottle, I die. <laughs> true, <laughs> this is very true. My liver. <laughs> right, so. exactly, yeah. It's all good stuff, yeah, well, right. yeah. Yeah. So, so LAB is obviously something to be very careful with, but what other ones in your experience have been like one of the things I think I'm currently overusing and I wanted to kind of pick your brain um, about this is WCA or um, water soluble calcium extracts, whatever you want to call it, eggshell extract, mm -hmm. I've called it on no-till flowers. Um, I think because I have a calcium issue at my farm. I, I don't have enough calcium in my soil. It's pretty tight. Um, and so I think I've, I've used it too often and I'm starting to see some repercussions from that. So if you had an, I, I don't think you use WCA so much there, but you do use WCPA, <laughs> right? I, I tend to, I tend to, well, when, when Master Cho developed the protocols on this is, the water um, soluble calcium is probably a really easy, it's very easy for most people to make because you mm -hmm. just take some eggshells and you right. brown them up to you know get rid of that membrane. Yeah. And then brush them a bit and put them in some vinegar, and a few days later it's you know good to go. But calcium, it, it, you got to look at in a, when calcium is needed in the most highest amounts is usually at the point of of seed or fruit production. Hmm. And so that was his his point in the in the growth cycle of or the season of the plant or the tree is that that is when the water soluble calcium had the, the biggest benefit um, in the vegetative growth, you know, meaning, OK, from the point when the seed germinates to the point where the plant is getting ready to start making buds or flower buds right. in our mm -hmm. case. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That is the vegetative phase and really is really needing um, a continuous flow of good nitrogen, magnesium, you know, and, and those things that enhance growth um, of that way. But there also is a need for phosphorus and a small amount of calcium to keep balanced. Mm. So 
typically what I, I do is I use the water-soluble calcium phosphate, which is made from charred bones. Oh, yeah. Um, I, and flowers, since we're not, our objective isn't to create seed unless you're a seed producer, uh, or fruits, is maybe in some cases there might be fruits like you know, ornamental peppers or something of that nature. Right, yeah. But for the most part, the flowers are um, really into your cycle you care about is when they right right and that really is moving from the vegetative state to the trend what they call the crossover period which is that period when it's it's going into bloom and it would need phosphorus and calcium in 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 that phase of it more so so when you're just applying calcium you know, in the, in the vegetative or that crossover stage and not giving the phosphorus, getting a bit of an imbalanced equation. Right. You okay. can also, if you're putting on too much calcium with not enough nitrogen to keep it balanced in the, particularly in the vegetative stage, you could theoretically stunt your plants. Yeah, bingo. That's what I've done. You know, I'm in, here to in, confess. In a way that they don't, they don't <laughs> perform to their optimum. Right. Yeah. No, I've definitely seen that in my um, anemones lately. So that's, that's been a problem yeah. I've experienced. Yeah, um, that's why when we, um, I mean, we didn't have, or in our first year of it, we, we didn't have any water-soluble calcium phosphate. And, but we knew we are, had a nitrogen problem when, when we were too much nitrogen mm -hmm. and we were getting aphids. And, that, and right. that's, I go back to that kind of story on it, is the water-soluble calcium did help correct that. Ah. But we only applied it um, three times. And we applied it uh, about 10 days apart. And we made certain that um, we didn't use any more than four milliliters per gallon of water. So if you look at it from that standpoint, I think that's roughly about a one to 1,000 dilution. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, and that's no more. really dilute. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's really dilute. Yeah, um, it's and really you would dilute. say, well, that can't be enough. So, you know, some more of it. Don't do that. <laughs> right, and I think that's I think that's the whole point of this conversation. Is for I can't listeners. see it in there. It must not <laughs> right. be there. No, it's not there. But, it's uh, nothing's there. Yeah. So I think that's the yeah. point is for people to realize, like, be careful with this stuff. It's so powerful. It seems like nothing, but the, it's it's intense. Yeah. It, it really is. Because so. when you're applying a full, you, you got to think about what you're trying to do. Is what you're trying to do is you're not trying to put so much the plant that it can't deal with it or it has an excess in its system and and that's kind of when people's like ranunculus and anemones i'm just going to use those as an example but yeah. when they get to this point and they go plants that look so great they're so big so green they're so lush you know and and then everything's looking great and then all of a sudden the aphids are here they're in everything <laughs> it's because most likely you have an imbalance with too much free nitrogen available yeah. to the plant yeah. and that plant couldn't take that nitrogen and turn it into a plant protein and so you ended up with um kind of a plant that's very attractive to the aphid because mm -hmm. it's easier for them to digest it yeah it's juicy super and juicy <laughs> so that's why you get that yeah you, you kind of get that that problem and that's Oh, sometimes it just happens. Even you, you, you can end up with imbalance in a plant. You put on the same amount of nitrogen, you know, whatever your favorite fertilizer is, 
that you always do, but you end up with uh, climatic conditions that uh, the plant couldn't utilize it all correctly, mm-hmm. you know, and you can have an imbalance in a plant that just evolves and best efforts, you know, but, you know, right. things happen. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the whole point of the KNF, the, the calcium phosphate is saying, okay, we're still in that crossover or vegetative stage. So we're going to apply a small amount, same, same measurement, one to 1000 dilution, you know, as, and, and just enough till you see the problem get corrected. Don't keep applying it. Right. You know, so if the problem's gone and the plant looks good and the stems are strong, you're good. You're good. Stop. Stop. Yeah. Don't do it anymore. (laughs) Leave it alone. (laughs) I'm so bad at that. I always feel like, well, that was a little was good. I'll do some more. It's going to be great. And then I, I always kick myself afterwards. So (laughs) don't do what I do. And and then I think the thing that kind of gets people too is, is this stuff doesn't have the same, very rarely have I seen you know, the same kind of immediacy and reaction that the plants have, like have when you give a, you know, miracle grow or something like that, right. you know, I'm right. just exaggerating, but, you know, a, a chemically based um, type thing tends to elicit, you know, plant response pretty fast, mm-hmm. particularly yeah. in a foliar feed. Right. Um, this stuff is, is like, it's gentle, it's moving. Mm. You have to be patient with it. If you've got a problem that is nuking your plant, know that example you know a severe aphid infestation Mm -hmm. you may not have the patience to wait for a week or 10 days as the problem begins to correct itself you maybe want to do something you know that's right away i need to knock this down right or that's where your integrated pest management comes in and i bring in bring in ladybugs or ice wings yeah you know and that's understandable too so you got to kind of say you know you kind of got to look at this in conjunction with you know, this is not going to be something that is going to move instantaneously, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I don't know if that's the right, right way to express it, but you have to understand what you're doing is you're, you're changing the balance of things and it takes right. some time for the plants to adapt to do that. Right, exactly. And I think it depends if it's a biological input or a nutrient mineral input, you know, too. So like, you know, water-soluble calcium is a mineral input that does sort of infiltrate into the plant and so forth. But if you're adding a biological input, such, such as um, JMS or OMS, um, where it's about the microbial activity within the input, then then you have to give that microbiology time to, to settle in, put a roof up, get a couch, get the TV, fill the fridge, you know, it's got, it's got to move in. It's got to set up shop before it can, uh, you know, really get to work. So there's got to be some patience with that, right? Don't you feel the same about that? Yeah. A caveat put with that is too, like when you're applying live microbiological solutions like B or JMS, you know, I'm throwing acronym again, but basically anything, it's a microbe solution. Yeah. You've got to be conscious too that, you know, if you apply those at like middle of the day when the sun is bright and the UV's out there and I sprayed my plants mm-hmm. with it, I didn't see anything happen. This stuff is garbage, you know, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, well, you, you most likely <laughs> most likely killed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, but a severe case of UV burn. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that goes back to like it's alive. Yeah. And so you've got to give it that time. 
that it can get into the plant and that um, at the time when the plant is open to receiving outside inputs too, you know, when the stomatas are open and the pores are open on the plant leaves and stuff, it's just, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of take that into account. Yeah. Um, cloudy days are always better than bright sunny days and early in the morning is, or, or actually probably the best Evening. is kind of like start to get dusky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's what I do. So I, I apply all my microbial inputs in the evening. But then I'm just curious about your thoughts mm -hmm. on this. I, I always feel bad because I'm wetting my plants at night, you know, like going into the nighttime, which is like, I've, all, I've had it drilled into me, you don't wet, want wet plants at night, because then you might get, you know, botrytis and fusarium and all these other things. So have you ever thought about that? Does that bother you? bother you to make your leaves wet at night before you go to bed <laughs> so what happens if it rains at night yeah that's true that's true <laughs> does it ever do that <laughs> yeah, it does that a lot actually right <laughs> you know it's just gonna i think you got to come with a grain of salt but, yeah. you know plants yeah. evolved to live outside yeah you know and this is true there is you're you're right you know lots of times the factors you know that will increase a disease is well the plant was already got a problem to begin with mm. it wasn't mm -hmm. balanced mm -hmm. you know or yeah. uh, if you're just applying water and you know over fertilizing and you get a you know it's like oh yeah you know some i remember my parents growing up you know we clipped on the uh, miracle grow thing onto the end of the hose and you know just gave yeah. everything a dose you know <laughs> you <laughs> right. kind of go well, oh okay uh, um but yeah watering at night you know when you're already you're juiced your plants up um you, you could be putting yourself at certain times of the year to you know peppery mildews and of that nature yeah and yeah. um but what you're doing is you're applying when you're most likely you're applying something that's therapeutic to the plant and not mm. necessarily um, uh, a, just a uh, fertilizing stimulant. Right, right. Um, so, you know, you got to kind of look at it that, okay, if I'm applying LAB in the evening, <clears throat> that LAB every 20 minutes double when it hits a food source and mm -hmm. hits what it, you know, is going to be a nice environment for it. So it's going to it's going to outcompete the pathogens on that leaf that land on the leaf in the middle of the night too. Right. So it may, you know, when you look at it, you probably have, I, I would never say you would never have the problem because you, you can't actually tell the absolute, you know, point where, okay, this plant was about ready to tip over anyway. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's, you have to look at it and say, in aggregate, you're probably not causing any harm doing what mm. you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then, uh, what, what's been your observation? Yeah, no, I like your, I like, I, I like your um, logic there. I think I haven't noticed anything really become a problem. It's just that I was, I've been classically trained in horticulture. You know, like I, I, I went um, to get a horticulture degree and, and you know, was trained on how to keep disease out of greenhouses and stuff like that. So, so it's just been drilled into my brain that you shouldn't have, um, at, at least in a greenhouse, any plants that are wet going into the nighttime. But I think you're exactly right. Your explanation is right. That that is, um, those plants probably uh, are, are living in an almost artificial situation to begin with. <laughs> and, and then they may be doped up on, on excessive, you know, uh, artificial fertilizers. 
Um, and so that that's a different beast, basically, than what we're doing at the farm, which is, you know, it's an all all natural farm, you know, most of the time when I'm applying this stuff, it's out in the field. And of course, it would get damp in the field at nighttime. So it makes absolute sense, Tony. Thank you. <laughs> you eased my mind, basically. Yeah, I mean, you get, you get rain at night, or you get heavy dew, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't really think that through before, but that's why I have these kind of conversations, because then I think it through and I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> Kind of goes back to what I was saying about balance and equilibrium. So if you deviate from the equilibrium that it thinks it should be in due to all the input you've been put at it, mm. you could end up with a bad result. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. probably why a lot of that, you know, came to pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. It's almost kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, putting these pieces together in my brain as we talk, but it's, it's kind of like a hardening off process. You know how you don't want to take like a little tiny young transplant and just shove it into the ground without any transition period. I think that's maybe kind of what it's like even mm -hmm. for like with these natural inputs and stuff. You just got to think about the fact that this is a living thing that doesn't want to shock. And you're and also your your um, your biome at your farm or garden also is a living thing and it doesn't want to be shocked. So there should always be incremental changes. That's the I think that's ultimately the, the the mantra we should all walk around with as we, we do all these things. It's just like slow and steady, slow and steady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's kind of a, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm really going to butcher this thing up, but it's 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 kind of like a, a Taoist philosophy in a sense that you put the intent out and work meaningfully on the intent, but hmm. don't obsess on the desire for the outcome. Make any sense? Yes, and that just wow, that sums it up in a nutshell. My my inappropriate approach <laughs> sometimes to farming is I'm so intent on the outcome that I need to 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 do what you're saying, you know, like just kind of um think about the process but not worry about the outcome. And I I need to do that more. I need to Yeah, I mean I mean, I guess if I get a little philosophical, I mean, there's there's kind of like this there's this um verse in the Tao Te Ching that says something like, uh, there's no sin worse than desire. Mm. There's no discontent um, worse than, there is no misfortune, I should say, worse than discontent. Discontent. Wow. And yeah, so when you're, when you start thinking about it, you're going, I'm desiring for something to happen. It's not yeah. happening if I want it. So I'm really upset about that. So let's throw more stuff at it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, and it, it's kind of like what you got to start kind of thinking about is going, well, wait a minute. You know, nature yeah. doesn't move in your time. No. It move in its time. Yeah, exactly. And, and a, I think, but, and we as farmers always are desiring an outcome. Like, I feel like I could go into such a philosophical conversation here, but that's kind of the point of farming, yeah. right? Is a desired outcome, but then it's completely out of whack with, with nature, basically. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a deep topic, a deep thought process to think about. We should probably all just walk around with that in our heads as we care for our spaces <laughs> and look at our plants and just remember that we our desire for an outcome of a, of a harvestable crop may not be in line with nature at all. 
what are we doing, Tony? Now I don't even know the purpose of my life. (laughs) But I can understand too when somebody's saying my livelihood depends on me harvesting stuff and not letting some bug consume it. Right. You know, you got to weigh, you got to weigh that, you know, and what you got to do in order to fight the day. Right. it's great to be philosophical, but there does come a limit to when you yeah. go, well, I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place. Right, right. And ultimately, I, I always think about my own farm. It only exists because I do have a crop to harvest. Like, sometimes I get over-involved in the, in the, um, in the ecology of it, in the, in the big picture of it, which is really important. But at the end of the day, if I don't have a crop to sell, then I can't continue to to steward that um, ecosystem if I if I can't actually produce something. So, um, so it does ultimately come back to right. producing something in the space, just hopefully in harmony um, with nature. And I think it's just about reverence for life and understanding, like you've already said, but I'm just going to say it again to drive it home for everybody listening. Nature has its own pace. We as humans have our pace. And they are very different paces. <laughs> and it's important for us to at least have reverence for the pace of nature and not try to go so hard and so fast that, that we just screw it all up. You know, we could have the best of intentions and still screw it up. So one thing I wanted to ask right. your opinion about, though, Tony, was can you overdo things like JMS? or FPJ or, you know, so for those listening that don't know what these mean, they're, they're just very, I consider those um, very benign. Um, they're, so JMS is Jajam Microorganism Solution. I believe I'm getting that right. If I'm not, let me know. <laughs> but it's basically brewing um, or uh, fermenting leaf mold or other biologically active material in rainwater um, to just capture the microbiology, procreate it, amplify it, and then apply it to your soil. So in that capacity, right. do you think you can overdo that? Like if I apply that like once a week, is that like an insane idea? Um, a couple of things that what I've noticed in, in a general sense about people who have um, taken uh, Young Sheng Cho's book on um, and they they're making jms it, they kind of fall into um a trap that they create maybe a microorganism solution that i'm not certain that is necessarily consistent in quality mm-hmm. in other words um time of the year plays a role because mm-hmm. most of most of the time and from you know, when it's warm enough in spring until it's starts to cool down to night and fall, this would be something that would be be brewed at ambient temperature. Right. So it's going to change a little bit in terms of what's going to become dominant in the solution um, versus, you know, when it's cooler, when it's warmer. Hmm. So it will flow somewhat with the biome of your soil. You know, it's the same idea is, is, is as you go through the course of the season, um, certain activities in the soil are going to be more dominant than others. Right. And <clears throat> I think the other problem that I've noticed is 
fall into people fall into well, if a little little is good a lot is better so mm-hmm. with the exception of adding sea salt to their their um jms brew <laughs> what i've noticed is that a lot of people use a whole lot of potato you know pureed potato <laughs> yeah. and a whole lot a, a whole lot of oculum mm-hmm. and actually i you know in reading his book and thinking about it more he he has it's kind of like a there's there's a lot of philosophy in there but there's also a lot of um what could be depending on how you want to put con- contradictory things hmm. but mostly when you get down to near the end of the book he kind of lays it out that yes you can use more potato if you need to yes you can use more inoculum it doesn't mean that you won't get right. a brew but he doesn't come out and quite say you just won't get a quality brew. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um, what I've noticed is there there'll be people they'll put in like a make a four gallon bath. They'll put like um, you know 300, 400 grams of potato in with uh, you know a big old heap and handful leaf mold oil, and then they'll say, oh my god that stuff stunk after about a day i can't take it anymore i had to dump it out i've seen that uh and and the reason why behind it is is kind of like this is is um if you put a whole lot of food that mm-hmm. is really super um allows a back to certain types of bacteria to super expand really really fast yeah, yeah, yeah. because there's so much food yeah they'll out compete other things in the diversity of what you're trying mm. to get to. So you end up with something that goes massively anaerobic, massively quick. And basically you started to create Jadam liquid fertilizer. Does that make sense? Yeah, because no, it totally it makes much. sense. Yeah, yeah. So you're, cause what you're tr- striving for when you're making Jadam microorganism solution is diversity and yeah. large numbers in diversity. That's his goal. Right. So in reality, what I have found that when I look under the microscope, the best brew that I, uh, that I get is when I use, and this is making four gallon, four gallons of it mm-hmm. in a five gallon bucket, leaving a little headspace at the top. I use 20 grams of inoculant, okay. which is the, the soil, the compost soil mm-hmm. or the leaf mold soil. Mm-hmm. I use 60 grams of boiled, and I find that russet potatoes don't work as well as, say, a Yukon Gold or oh. a Red Norland type, yeah, yeah, you know, those yeah. early or mid-season potatoes. They're a softer huh. flesh, okay. and uh, the starch sugars in it seem to be more available. So, I mean, it just seems to get, it just seems to make a better product. Interesting. And this is kind of what I have found to be the sweet spot, that okay. ratio which is um, really low. <laughs> yeah, for those when of us that aren't good what, at what, grams, you know, how a lot much of people... is that? <laughs> Sorry, if, can you translate that to like a cup? Or it's, a less, cup or a... it's less than an ounce. It's less than an ounce. It's, yeah, wow. There's 28 grams, 28 and a half grams to an ounce. Wow, okay, so that's not so much at all. So when you look at it and you'd say, no, it's not much. Very, very low. That's why I, I, could, I harvest a I harvested a five-gallon bucket of compost oil 
from underneath my compost yeah. piles before winter set in and i am still working on it <laughs> oh, wow <laughs> and i've been making this jms stuff like two two times a week just like right. you know Great. i'm make, i'm making yeah. it yeah and um so it lasts a long time okay. that's the other thing is is you start thinking about it and saying if i go out into the woods and i capture this leaf mold soil and i'm using it a 300 gram at a time right. you know huge amount I'm going to burn through this stuff really fast and I'm overusing it. I don't yeah. need that much to get the effect of what right. I'm trying to get to. Yeah. So when you think about micro again, I'm going to double every 20 minutes. You know? Yeah, that's huge. So if you start with this small amount, it's more than enough. And the other thing that it does too is it takes much the silt or debris out of your JMS. So what you're left with is almost a clear solution mm -hmm. you know once you push the foam aside it's a, a little opaque but it has very little material in it that you know would end up clogging or you have to you do have to filter it if you're going to run an irrigation and system fair, yeah. Yeah. but it it doesn't have the debris in it mm -hmm. so um it, it's almost i think a good batch um is is almost clear to slightly opaque right but then when you mix it up it gets dirty <laughs> well you can but what you do is say if you were uh, making this run it into an irrigation you could decant off what you want and leave a, you know that mm -hmm. one inch down at the bottom and it has all this heavy silt in it yeah, yeah. and then you know dilute it to what you need to and using something like a um uh, oh, kind of a venturi type uh, uh, fertigation type thing. You can run it through a drip, you know, and, mm. and it won't clog. Right. Um, yeah. But I guess the major thing about it is, is, is you really cut down on how much succulent you need to use and how much potato you need to mm -hmm. use to get the effect. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it, it goes back to that thing again is, is like if too much of something, you can get it out of balance very, very quickly. <laughs> True. So do you, um, you said you were making batches of JMS like twice a week. So are you applying it mm -hmm. to a given bed multiple times or do you try to just use it once a season? What, what I'll do is um, when, say like I have a bed that um, I've finished a crop on mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm, but I lag period of time, I will, it, I will apply the JMS about every four days, four to five days. Oh. Actually, I probably, you can even do it tighter than that. You could do it like three, and you'll apply it at like a one to 20 dilution. Okay, and water really well. Now, I'm talking about like being in a hoop house as an example. Okay, so you okay. water it in. I make certain that also too, that before the JMS applied, that <clears throat> those beds have been thoroughly watered so that the soil has moisture it's not a dry soil okay and then i apply the jms to it and then run the irrigation <clears throat> excuse me again for about another 20 minutes after that application just to continue to walk this stuff in as i can get it yeah Do so you're trying to times. flush it flush it into the um into the soil essentially it's not about just like spreading it around but then you're trying to like kind right. of push it down into the soil with the water. Okay, I get that. Exactly, exactly. And then, okay, so 
that also in combination at that time also too i'm applying with it um some of my grass based uh jadam liquid fertilizer is is the uh, anaerobically fermented several months of um basically grass i've I'm getting into the weeds about how to make this stuff but, <laughs> but basically it, it's it's a anaerobically fermented grass uh, based um liquid fertilizer you can make it with just about anything that's organic material yeah as long as it's you know not straw or something like right, that right. you know something i mean green. it can't be yeah. dry desiccated it has to be in its green state you can only make it from food with you know um and that actually is fairly high nitrogen you can make it from fish mm-hmm. you could make it from fish bone meal if you want it <laughs> as an example to make a, a version of it Right. You can make um, a, uh, a phosphate version of it using raw phosphate. I mean, there's all kinds of, yeah, all kinds of things you can do uh, to do it. But I'm using this grass-based one. First of all, I got tons of it around the place. Um, but secondly, it's it's a good general fertilizer. Mm-hmm. I use that conjunction with the JMS at the same time. And I'll, I'll apply that at roughly a dilution rate of <clears throat> 1 to 200. Okay. You know, in, in, and so those, those go in at the same time and do that four times and then I'm ready to plant. So the JLF or Jadon liquid fertilizer weeds tea is what I call it here is being applied with mm-hmm. the JMS with the microorganism solution mm-hmm. as a way to feed the microorganisms. Is that, is that your, your logic there or is it? Yeah, it will, it will fertilized? have some impact. It, it will have some impact in terms of of the biology and the soil working with it, okay. um, but it also applies, you know, just those extra minerals that are and, and some nitrogen, um, so that those bacteria can work on that nitrogen as well. Okay. Okay. I just so yeah, to it's kind of a boost, a little bit of a boost, but it's very weak. But it's a gentle thing that um, the biology will will help feed that. You know okay. when you put it in there with it yeah. and then what i found is is that after four applications that the soil has gained a lot of um friability but so mm. it really helps out having to till or fork or do anything you know in mm. a sense and what i've also noticed too and i've been doing this in <clears throat> one of my tunnels and i previously didn't have a weed problem in the tunnel but it's like this MS and the JLF stoked a, like a weed boom on oh, no. bed that I was doing. I was like, what the heck did that come from? You know? Oh gosh. And then here's another weird thing on sweet pea. Eight years ago, we raised glads there. You know, and how glads, you know, yeah. make those little corn little bulbs like that. Yeah. Yep, yep. <clears throat> I haven't seen yeah, I haven't seen any glads on this bed for years. And now I have glads popping up. These little corn out of dormancy, but hey, it's great. I'm gonna grow. <laughs> As an ongoing, you know, do I do I apply MS to the plant? Yes. I do, um, but I don't apply it <clears throat> uh, at 
that strong a dilution of, of one to 20. And, and the reason behind that is, is I, I think it, it's just, it's slamming the plant around the plant roots too much too fast. Mm -hmm. So it's like the concentration is too heavy. So I, I tend to thin it back to between a one to 50, if it's a, you know, pretty vigorous plant that can handle it. Um, but if it's like a tender, like bulb, like a ranunculus or an anemone or something mm -hmm. like that, I use it on a one to 100 basis. Okay. Okay. And, and also too, you have to be cognizant of when you're making this JMS is you are putting sea salt into the mixture. Now, a lot of it gets utilized by the microorganisms, the sodium and stuff like that, but you got to be conscious of that. So if you already have a fairly high sodic soil, you know, where you got a lot of salts in it, in a um, house. <laughs> I think you could still go ahead and make that JMS just scale back and don't use the salt. Right. Okay. You know, okay. I think the salt is, is really, the sea salt is being put in or water, if you have access to it, is being in for the mineral content that that's behind it, the micronutrients in it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, but if you, you do have a, if you do have a sodium problem in your soil or, or an example, if you were applying this potted plants, you know, nursery mm, plants or something yes. like that, I think yes. you'd want to be pretty careful about that. Okay. Because um, you don't have as large area to, you know, dilute it, so to speak. Right. Right. So let me just, if I can, clarify, when you use JMS or leaf mold um, tea, as I call it, or whatever you want to call it, on beds, you're doing it at the bed flip or when you're clearing beds at the end of the season, and then you're applying it kind of four times relatively quickly? Yeah, I do it at a point where I know I try to hit it. My goal is to try to hit it with that kind of treatment at least twice a year. Hmm, okay. um, so I can you know, stagger something for a week or two between plantings, I will apply it. Okay. Um, or if, it, if you, you know, but the idea is, is I want that biology in there before the next plant root goes. And so that could also be too. say, say like you were trying to do something with a cover crop, you know, okay. in your tunnel. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you would say, well, wait a minute, maybe I'll, I'll just, I'll give it this JMS treatment for starters, then I'll seed my cover crop, you know, yeah. so you're, okay. you're kind of like juice in the biology okay. and then get that root recover crop in there as soon as possible after you finish that fourth treatment. You know, give so, it a you day don't, or so you don't, you don't think the, um, the seed would somehow be uh, adversely affected by JMS. I, I don't think so personally, but I'm just, you know, for the record, it doesn't, I don't think there's anything in JMS that would, would hinder germination of a seed. No, no. Uh, um, <clears throat> once it's gone, you know, it, it's in the soil for a day or so when you've watered it really well, right? It's, it's probably more than fine for putting seeds. I mean, shoot, seeds germinate real well. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't see a problem with it. Yeah. Okay. So good to if know. anything, you know, it, it just helps it a, a bit to get, you know, those plants that when they do germinate, they're going to put in a deep root system pretty fast. Yeah. You, you know, you, you don't want a wet, like mucky soil, but you want it always having a certain, you know, you don't want it going dry because it's not good for the plants period. Um, 
So you always want to have a certain, you know, a, a fairly good amount of moisture in it. And, and particularly when you're applying this microbe section. <clears throat> now, when you're applying it to the plants, you know, how often do I do it? Like I said, I'll dilute it one to 100 most of the time. And I'll be applying it with also a liquid fertilizer too at that point. So I'll try to hit it with JMS maybe like twice a month, you know. Okay. And the fertilizer. I just kind of watch and see what the how the plants are responding. If the okay. plants don't look like they need anything, I don't do it. You okay. know, I just kind of like on that basis. Yeah, for me, I've always been um I, I never knew if applying JMS directly to plants, like as a foliar, or do you mean you're watering it around plants? Because I've always been like, it's a, it's something for the soil, I feel like. Well, well actually, you can use JMS as a foliar to help outcompete um, pathogens like mildews and things like that. But okay. the, what you really need to have is a, is a kind of a surfactant that goes in, Jadam has the whole thing about making basically your own insecticidal soap. Um, using, um, I forgot, I think it's so sodium hydroxide. Yeah. Or is have you just, ever yeah, done that? Basically have, you, have you done that yourself? I've no, never done that. I haven't that. done it yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of intrigued by it, but it gets yeah. really hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why so the you, book is like scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I've seen some of his videos where it's like, well, he's got this, you know, uh, you know, all the eye protection on and these heavy duty industrial gloves. And you got to yeah. go, hmm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> But basically me. what he's making is he's just making, he's making soft soap. You know, he's making insecticidal yeah. soap. Right. Um, I, I, I don't think it hurts anything to put JMS on a, on a dilution basis, but if you're using it as a foliar, I think you'd want to, you'd want to be, I'm not sure what the right dilute is because I never read it, but I think you'd want to be fairly dilute. You don't want to go super, yeah. super strong. So right. maybe somewhere like on a one to 200 basis, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it will, uh, it could also cause spotting on your leaves. Mm. So if you're doing this like um, for a greenery or something like that, that's why you'd want to mix in that, that um, wetting agent. Okay. To kind of, spread it out and it would not leave markings on your plants i mean that's kind of his solution for things like powdery mildew and stuff like that it does play a role in in, in you know competing uh diseases right so it can be done I, yeah. I just yeah, at this point haven't seen it it seemed to me like to be easier to use the traditional k and f trees you know the um lab and kind of go from that angle yeah, that's always what I've done is just LAB instead of JMS for any sort of, um, you know, bacterial or, or issues. But I do think that the JMS is good for soil borne concerns, you know, so like when I've got um, fusarium or something like that in the soil, then I think a little bit more about JMS and I want to apply that to the soil. Um, but the LAB in my mind is more of a foliar, you know, powdery mildew, that kind of thing right. um, for, for that. But the LAB is good for right. the soil too, for the record, so, it's both. You know, one, one other thing about making the microbe solution, the JMS, is that people got to be careful with is you cannot use city tap water. Don't yes, yes. <laughs> fill your bucket full of city tap water and then just put the mixture in there. You're going to get something really stinky bad <laughs> if you get anything at all. So it, um, 
you there are methods you can remove the uh, chlorine or what we call it amines or something. There's a, they've got two different types of things they're using nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, you could use a bit of humic acid to remove it, uh, or uh, just add you know let it sit for a few days and then agitate it. You know every once in a while come yeah. by and give it a good stir to kind of you know get get the stuff to gas off. But um, yeah, clean water in the neck condition would be best or yeah. some kind of purified water that's been you know have that stuff removed yeah so that is important i like to use rainwater here I've, I've really taken to collecting rainwater off of my roof you know my gutter system so that i just i always anytime it rains like today it's raining here and i filled up about five yeah five gallon I mean, buckets you know just to have for when i need to to make this stuff you know <laughs> Yeah, and, and you you uh, get I think excellent results from from that. Yeah, I've I've used rainwater and I've used our well water and I've what I found is um, I get a little bit more logic activity with rainwater, but my well water luckily isn't so hard that it causes too many problems and it worked pretty well. Yeah, yeah and I, I think the other thing that for folks too to understand is applying these things like AMF, the JLF. It is great for the vegetative stage. Okay, once the plants reach the point of, you know, flowering, um, I, I don't know, I would back it off mm-hmm. in, in a sense if the plants are healthy, particularly. I think just kind of kind of weigh it, you know, um, adding it all the time, you could, it probably wouldn't cause any harm, but I, I just kind of look at it and saying, the plant's probably not really using it, you know, because the plant is particularly if the plant is past that point and now is in the senescence stage of something like, you, you know, you're trying to get something to ripen off, you know, as an example, or, or, you know, like if you're like, I'm just using example, if you have ornamental wheat, you know, or grasses or something like that, where no, the point is, is I want to get it to the point where it dries. Mm-hmm. Now, um, applying this stuff while that process is going on is, you know, wasting your time. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, I think also it's just we have this capacity to want to just keep, you know, the train steaming ahead, or at least I do. Most of this conversation is about how I just keep barreling ahead at at my farm. And um, it's a good reminder that at a certain point, you don't need to do anything else. It's okay to just let nature kind of truck along on its own um, without continuing to fuss, you know? Well, it's a lot easier, too. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly so so can i ask you have you ever made any like super big mistake with knf or jadam that people might be curious to hear you're like oh my gosh you did that story um, <laughs> super big or, or just a like wow i made this mistake kind of scenario you mean like this accidentally apply too much and ended up with a bean stock no, just kidding yeah maybe <laughs> sure <laughs> um i guess i've been really reticent about jumping in and applying too much of something so Mm. i've kind of taken approach on most of this stuff like okay i'll put the minimal amount in and see what the reaction is Mm. and you know if i'm not getting the right reaction so it's and i also tried when i started doing this experimental taking like Okay, like I'll take one bed in the house, and and when I started using this stuff, I said, okay, I'm gonna do it 
this process this way did it come out mm -hmm. okay i didn't see any change for better or good okay maybe do i need to add more you know you see what i'm saying so kind of like yeah. i've been taking my time and just like trying to dial it in and then you know the other thing that people are going to find too with this stuff is particularly with the liquid fertilizers is like well wait a minute i do not get the response that you know one to 200 dilution but right. hey i kept moving the dilution down and you know what this particular thing peas do sweet really really well at a one to 100 dilution Okay. Yeah, I don't get anything on them, you know, when I'm using one to 200. So you kind of got to look at it from that standpoint. I mean, if you think about fertilizers, you know, there's different fertilizer, chemical fertilizer recommendations for the crop you're growing. Right. So you kind of got to look at it from, from that standpoint. There is no necessarily one perfect thing. So at this point, the only thing I have been concerned about is I did apply JMS to um some tech crates when we're raising uh we're trying to raise um like uh these larger pansies okay. for um cuts yeah and um i ended up with a lot of vegetative growth and not much flowers interesting <laughs> uh, plants look great wow but okay i didn't get the flower response yeah so that so was you know i scratched my head question. on that yeah yeah I, I actually wanted to ask you if you apply any of these um, microbial solutions, at least. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you apply the fertilizer inputs, but do you apply microbial to crate growing? That was that was a question I was curious what you did with crates. And I guess it's maybe not great <laughs> based on what you um, said. <clears throat> yeah, I, I haven't done that yet because I've been kind of leery about the salt. Yeah. Salt. Yeah. So thinking that I'm going to try uh, some of it with um, just no sea salt and mm. just kind of watch that. I suppose the smart thing to do would test the soil in the crates ahead of time, see exactly what I got and test it afterwards. Maybe to do without salt, some with salt, but um, yeah, I think I, I gotta, that, that'd be my biggest concern is, is that um, in an in a environment in which the only way to get excess salt out would be to just totally drench these crates, you know, and basically drench them and drench them and drench them with water running out the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. But you're washing out all your other nutrients too. Right. So I, I guess I would be, might be my biggest concern is that using something, even as dilute as this is, when you don't have the tree of a large soil mass, um, I, I think, that could maybe cause uh, some toxicity problems. I was so I'd be also, careful. I'd be very careful yeah, with that. Yeah, I I was also curious, and this is a maybe again a philosophical question, um, more than a than a grower question. But I going back to this concept that any of these inputs are are you know huge quantities of life that Go, we going back to what now. Uh, the in these micro like JMS in in a microbial input solution, mm -hmm. they have huge quantities LED whatever you want to um, huge quantities of life and then we put them into a crate which is not a natural growing system you know it's a it's pot I, when I do crates it's potting right. soil so like do they even can they even grow in that or I, maybe we come up with a new crate formula you know that they could grow in do you have any have you thought about that i feel like you do so much crate growing yeah <laughs> so. you know that, that's interesting but 
You know, and I, just the thought to me too about um, GMS <clears throat> is is somewhat um, facultative anaerobic, if you want to call it, solution. Mm -hmm. And that the idea is, is when you're applying it to the soil, you're driving it deeper into the soil. So it's like kind of designed to do its best work at a semi-anaerobic environment or, you know, and that sort of thing. Right. And if you only got six inches of a soil mixture or even a soilless mixture in a crate, it's like, where are you driving this stuff to? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know, you, you know, so you, you got to go, well, okay, um, maybe have a benefit to um, roots. You, you know, it would be wild. I, I, I don't do hydroponics, but it'd be interesting oh, to yeah. see what effect stuff has on hydroponics. That's a good point. <laughs> You're right. Somebody needs to do a study on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I probably don't just know kill many. everything, but you probably know. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I don't know. That's a really good question. <laughs> but you, you know, but I think you you you've touched on a, an important point here. Is is this is not a natural growing environment, yeah. so it may not be suited for it. So I think, yeah, I think you know where I got to go with that is 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 like I said, when I tested it out on the pansies, I ended up with like really great looking vegetative. That was the liquid fertilizer. Yeah. Ended up with a lot of vegetative growth, but I didn't end up with, um, you know, as many blooms as I thought. That could also be, it's like, well, I was using based liquid fertilizer, which maybe didn't have enough, you know, minerals in it to really right. stick the blossom out of it. And right. That, you know, that gets back to thinking about, well, yeah, you needed to add some calcium and some phosphate into it, and that probably would have helped balance it out. Right. Yeah. Are you, are those still growing in the crate right now? Yeah, they're, they look great. They're nice and green. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they'll bloom soon. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, when, when you look at it and you see with a crate system, I think, I think there's just a lot of work that needs to be done to figure that out. And I'm not there yet. Definitely not. Yeah. I, um, I, and then I, the, like I think there's work that. for me to do too on figuring out for, yeah, uh, and I think there's there's also work to be done on figuring out, you know, for seedlings and transplant. You know, once they're at the like grow on stage, you know, mm -hmm. is there an application for using these liquid fertilizers? Um, or, I, again, I, I would kind of be thinking about using JMS on them because you know for a transplant or something, just simply because of the soil volume size, but you know, maybe there's applications of the fertilizer. So I have been testing that. Like I have some sweet peas growing in some um, um, deeper pots. They're like uh, two inch by two inch by six inch deep. And I've just been testing on on that, applying it. Um, I've kind of got a different application ratio set up from one to 200 to one to 100. And I've seen actually fantastic response on the one to 100 dilution. Um, they really just turned deep green and oh, they're wow. starting to put out like extra buds and stuff like that off the sides. And like, okay. So wow. I'm kind of in the process now and thinking, okay, so how, how can I apply this to other, other things, you know, like stock or you know, Lysianthus, this kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm kind of thinking that um, some of the stuff I've made some burnt um, 
concoctions that like Lysianthus as an example is a heavy calcium feeder. And um, so took some um, grass fertilizer, liquid fertilizer and then some liquid fertilizer I made out of just windfall or downfall apples last fall that <clears throat> apples have a fair amount of calcium in them. So I'm kind of using that in kind of a, a mixture and oh. seeing if I'm getting some response. So I'm, it, it's just, yeah, it's full experimentation. Wow. But if I, I can that. figure that out, then that's another step of fertilizer I don't need to buy. So it's my goal in a perfect world is to just try to eliminate all inputs that I have to purchase. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I know totally if it's possible, agree. but it'd be cool. <laughs> It would be very cool. I don't know if it's possible either, but that would be really, really cool. And I think it's what we're all kind of, well, I think those in the K&F and Jadam world, that's what we're all aiming for. But I, I don't know. I think that's one thing with flower growing is we have to figure out the right formula, you know, to, to really have productive flowering crops, which is a little different than, you know, Jadam and K&F were pretty much developed, in my understanding, for vegetable and fruit production. So that's a little different than flowers. Yeah. but We'll figure it out. It's okay. <laughs> but like, yeah, and then Jadam, his farm is his primary crop is um, peppers. Yeah. He raises yeah. these hot peppers, and those things that I mean, those plants they show in the pictures of his book are just Nuts. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they are pepper plants that are like six foot tall, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's really impressive. That book is that book is a really interesting read for anybody who hasn't read the Jadam book. Um, it's not it's not the most uh, poetic book, I should say, or, or I'm not sure how to put that, you know, nicely. It's It's got its hiccups in terms of editing and so forth, but it's incredibly inspirational yeah. to, to look at that book. Um, you just kind of have to take it with a grain I, of salt. I, th I think it's one of those things, you know, yeah, I think it's one of those things, you know, that has the the problem with um, East West translation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you got to kind of, when you read it, you got to think about uh, i found uh, i had to reread things and think about them a little more and go <laughs> eh, okay and that's kind of where you know i how i it took me a while to figure out you know this whole concept to, if you start thinking about it, he really does have kind of um the eastern philosophy in it and and the, like you can do whatever you want yeah but less is better than more right you know and being you know from that mindset is approaching it because his whole concept was to be the ultra low cost production method right and yeah. and so well anyway being a dead horse <laughs> <laughs> it's okay that was what Hope this was whole the whole correct. episode was about is beating the dead horse that less is more so, yeah, and go slow <laughs> yeah you know from from my perspective i got a lot of experimenting to do yeah and yeah and that's that's kind of fun to just try to figure this out. I, I do, I've heard say that, you know, that the Jadam and the Korean natural farming are complementary to each other. Hmm. They are in two degree. I think the crossover is, is kind of like, you know, they're using indigenous microorganisms uh, and they, in Korean natural farming, you're capturing it. And then you're, you're breeding it up basically to make their, different versions of IMO okay. um, um, mixtures, you know, you know, basically um, they're solid mixtures. Okay. So, and, 
<clears throat> Jadam just kind of short circuited the whole thing. and said, oh, if I just take leaf soil, that are, you know, putting a box of ruts on top of it, I'll use this stuff and I'll breed it up, you know, on something that, you know, won't cause it to go crazy fast, you know, like potato right. starch is a little harder to digest. Right. And so they kind of diverse though, because if you, if you look at in natural farming, most of those inputs are made by osmotic extractions using high sugar levels of brown sugar. Um, and IMO is no different. It's, you know, once you capture it and once you basically super saturating it into hibernation with brown mm -hmm. sugar. And then you're taking small amounts of that and breeding it into the next level um, using wheat brand or something of that nature, a rice brand, and you're creating, you're cultivating it up into various levels until you get this population of in indigenous microorganisms basically into a compost. Right. And that's what, you know, in a, their traditional sense gets applied, where he's on the Jadam side, they're not doing that at all. They're they're making an anaerobic or facultative anaerobic ferment in a few days and applying it repetitively um, to, you know, the soil. You know, that's the four-time application and then applying it, you know, as you irrigate during the growing season. And they're quite a bit different. One's an anaerobic brew and the other is an osmotic extraction. And with the exception, in the NF treatments of, you know, the water-soluble calcium and the water-soluble calcium phosphate and the LAB, most everything is made with sugar. You know, right. your fermented plant juices. Um, and so that, that kind of thing, it's, it's different. It's, and, and so I think that the two philosophies, you know, while they have a similar root, they, they definitely practically go in, in different directions. Yeah, yeah. Because the fertilizer in Jadam, the, the fertilizer in Jadam is an anaerobic ferment. Mm. And there's nothing like that at all in, in KNF. Um, and yeah. KNF doesn't use any kind of insecticidal soaps or any kind of any herb, herbal extractions as insecticides. And, Jadam has a lot of information on, on how to control various insects with, you know, using um, their own set of uh, pesticides that you basically get from extractions from herbs or ginkgo trees or, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, they're quite a bit different. Yeah, they so are. So at some point, you know, you almost have to make a choice which way you're going to go. Yeah. Which and, which and way have you gone? Which choice did you make? Do you have a choice? I think I'm more in Jadam camp myself than KNF, but I, I still do a little. Yeah, bit I'm about. moving. I'm moving that way the Jadam side, but I do I do use the maintenance spray in KNF. You know, the one that's the FPJ, yeah. which is a biostimulant with the uh, the either apple cider vinegar or rice vinegar, brown rice vinegar, and um, I do have OHN that I made a year ago that um is anti-pathogenic it's, it's it's herbal nutrient yeah garlic and ginger and cinnamon and takes a, a lot of other work ones. <laughs> and that does make a difference as a foliar a foliar spray mm, and okay. i have used that also with the lab still use an lab probably will yeah. use that a lot i mean it's it's very useful yeah and yeah. so 
I, the other, you know, so when I look at it, as I'm probably end up going to be mostly Jadam, probably by the time, you know, I, it's my series of figuring out how to use it in experiments. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, that wraps up another energetic episode of No Till Flowers. I'm so grateful you tuned in and hope you got several new ideas that can help you farm more in step with nature. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one. Also, please take a second to rate and review the podcast wherever you're getting it. Reviews help grow this show and let others know that it's worth a listen. Many thanks to Matt Moran, the post-production manager of No-Till Flowers, for his meticulous editing so you don't have to listen to too many of my outbursts of excitement and laughter. Also, gratitude goes to Nikolai Fox for the original music used here on the show. Until next time, remember, it all stems from the soil. Sounds like you got a three-hour podcast coming. Yeah, this was supposed to be a (laughs) twenty-minute conversation, Tony. What gives?